Good morning again, everyone. We're so glad you're with us. Pastor Tracy, Rob, and Miss Margaret are all on holidays this week. So it's like Pastor Ethan, myself, and Matt are like holding down the fort this week. So we're glad you're joining us. Pastor Tracy and Miss Margaret will be back next week. It's that time of year where we all just take turns. It's a rotating roster of holiday and vacation time. It's fun. We like summer. We all get to try new things. We are continuing in our summer series, The Never-Ending Story. And no, it is not The Never-Ending Story. Is that the 80s or 90s? When did that movie come out? I never watched it. 80s? Okay, there were some very passionate people that said the 80s there. Sorry if I offended you by saying it was the 90s. Uh, it is not about that. It is about the never-ending story. We're starting at Genesis, and we're going to work our way all the way through this summer, and we're really excited about it. So last week, Pastor Tracy talked to us about Noah, and we're going to move on into Abraham. Now, if you want to, you can feel free to sing the song. I'm not going to, but it's about a father and Abraham, and he had many sons. And I think there's moving. Is there moving in this song? Like, right arm, left arm, is that a thing? Too much? Okay, Walt says it's too much, but that's not part of the song. Like, seriously, no? Okay. All right, guys, I clearly did not sing that one in Sunday school, and I do not know it. But there is a song. Uh, I felt the need to bring it up because Tracy sang a song last week. All right, so we know from Pastor Tracy last week that uh, in Noah's time, sin became so rampant, the world became such a dark and horrible place, that he wiped out every living thing on the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family and the animals that were brought onto the ark. So Abraham happens after the flood, after all of that. Abraham is a descendant of Noah. And the problem is, you see, things went really kind of good after, you know, after that giant demonstration of the Lord's power, people kind of walked the straight and narrow for a little while and they were following him. But over time, as things go, the world started to spiral back into sin after the time of Noah. And when we get to Abraham and his family, there was likely only a handful of people left that were still really and truly faithfully trying to serve the Lord. So that's kind of where we find ourselves in the story today. Noah has come and gone and we're into Abraham, but the world has spiraled kind of back into a dark place. But we know from last week that God promised to never do again what he did in the time of Noah and wipe out um, the entire world again. So we're going to look at Abraham today. And the exciting part of the Abraham story is the impact that the covenant God makes with Abraham has on the story of our lives, on the story from Genesis all the way through. The covenant that we're going to talk about today marks a distinct turning point in the story of Genesis, uh, in the history. So it's no longer about just surviving and, and the time of Noah. We're going to start charting towards redemption. God is going to make a covenant with Noah that's going to start to move the human race forward into his redemption plan. And we're going to begin the story with a man named Abram. Okay, I just, I'm really, really bad with names, like really bad with names. I mix them up all the time in real life. I say Bible names that are incorrect. So this is going to be a struggle for me today. So you're going to have to bear with me. We're going to start with Abram. And his name is going to change to Abraham. And I'm going to mix them up. And I'm going to say the wrong name at the wrong place. So if you could just have grace for me today and understand that I understand that we start with Abram. And as God does things in his life, his name changes to Abraham. If you could just have grace for whatever I call him, just understand what I mean. Same with his wife. His wife starts out as Sarai and will change to Sarah. I'm going to do my best. I have marked it in my notes so I say it properly, but I can't make any promises. So I appreciate your grace for me today in that. 
So for their grand introduction, the man of the hour is Abram, and we're going to meet him in Genesis 12, and he's going to be in an encounter with God. So let's read that together, Genesis 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he came out of Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem at the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. So this portion of scripture is titled The Call of Abram. And this is the first introduction to the covenant that I mentioned earlier. Now, a covenant isn't a word that you probably hear very often today unless you work with legal documents, which I don't ever. But uh, maybe you do. A covenant is essentially a relationship, but it's a relationship um, that's been formalized with terms. Uh, one description said it has sanctions. That sounded really scary, so I didn't like that word, but it's accurate. There are blessings that come when the relationship was kept, and there are punishments or consequences that come when the relationship is broken. And this covenant that we see with Abraham in a nutshell says, if you go from this country, then I will make you a great nation. If I go, so that's the term, if you go, then I will. That's the blessing. So we see here that those are the terms. If Abram is obedient, then God is promising to make him a great nation. Now, the tricky part here is Abram and Sarai um, currently have no children. They're getting on in years, as it were, and they have no children. So how the Lord is going to make them into a great nation, those details might be a bit fuzzy. But Abram is obedient. He is a handful of people that chooses and wants to serve the Lord. And so he is obedient to what the Lord is asking him to do. And he packs up all his family, all the people, and they travel into the land of Canaan. Now, if the land of Canaan sounds familiar to you, uh, it's because that is the promised land that Moses is going to end up in to end up in in a few hundred years, about 430 years, according to historians. I find this so exciting. I don't know if you put this all together, but often we think of these Bible stories that we grew up with. We grew up with Abraham. We grew up with the story of Moses and the Red Seas. We grew up with all of these stories, and they're just that in Sunday school. They're stories, but they're actually all connected. They're not just stories. They're not just random places. They are real places. So Abraham is called by God to go to the land of Canaan, where he stands and his promise that his people will live there. And 430 years later, Moses will lead the people of Israel back into the land of Canaan, into that promised land. That might not be as exciting to you, but I find it so exciting that we can track these real places and these real people to see God's promises um, met. But we'll keep moving, because next week we're going to talk a little bit more about Moses. So they don't stay long in Canaan. They end up where they're supposed to be, but there's a famine. So they move on to Egypt, where Abram makes some really interesting choices. Uh, just, we're just to say that. He tells people that his wife is actually his sister. Apparently she's very attractive, and it would get him into a lot of trouble if they knew he was his, she was his wife. So he tells people 
that their sister and brother, uh, which doesn't go well, obviously, and they end up moving along. And also, side note, for those of you that were in my Bible study seamless that this message is based off of, you will know that Abraham, Abram and Sarah are actually brother and sister in real life. So just let that sit in a minute and then just move right past that. That's fine. We don't need to dwell there, but that is actually true. He didn't actually lie. He made some questionable choices, but he didn't actually lie. So from there, we're going to move on to Genesis 15. So we're going to pick up the story again in Genesis 15. There is a lot to cover with Abram and Sarai, and so we're going to just jump around a bit this morning through the story. Starting at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. We'll just push pause and say, that does happen. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Also, that does happen. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Also, that does happen. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, from the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of sites. So Genesis 15 is the covenant that God makes with Abram, saying that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. If you've grown up in church, if you've spent any time in church, this story is not new to you. You've heard it many, many times. A lot just happened in that scripture that we just read. What I see is that Abraham had questions. He heard what God was promising. He was being obedient, but he had a few questions. How is this going to happen? I'm old. My wife is old. We have no children. Is this going to happen through my servant? Like, are you going to do this like it's my descendants, but it's through him? Is that how that's going to work if I die a childless? He had a lot of questions, and rightly so. We all have a lot of questions. I think God has wired us to want to know the details, to want to, I mean, some of you like spontaneity. I'm not one of those people. I've been wired to want to know the details, to want to know what's coming next, when it's coming, and how it all fits together. And I think Abraham, Abram is asking those questions as well. And God could have provided all of those answers to Abram, but he didn't. He gave some 
headings. He gave some guidelines. He gave some, some vague directions, but he didn't spell it out exactly how it's going to happen. And have you ever noticed in your life that sometimes knowing all the details doesn't actually make you feel that much better? Sometimes it just means you're just, you know, but now you're still waiting for that thing to happen. It reminds me of when you're, you have to take your kid to do a medical procedure. I think when I used to have to take the kids to do shots or something. And you would prepare them. You would tell them, right? It's not good to surprise children. Every parenting book tells you this. So you tell your children, we're going to go. We're going to go see the nurse today, and they're going to give you a shot. And then they, oh, a shot? What? No. Ah. And you say, it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you the whole time. You can squeeze my hand as hard as you are. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be okay. And at the end of it, it's to make you safe and to keep you healthy. That's how you do it. Some vague details, some general ideas, some warnings that it's going to hurt, but I'm going to be there with you. What you don't say is we're going to go to the nurse. Some of you may be going to this detail. They're going to wipe the thing. It's going to feel cold. And then they're going to take a very sharp metal stick. They're going to pierce your skin, push it all the way into the muscle. Then they're going to push the plunger, which will inject the thing, and then they will pull it out, and it'll be all done. That's not going to make the child feel better. It will be all the details of exactly what is going to happen, but it's not going to make them feel better. And I think sometimes God understands that. He could give us every single little detail about exactly what's going to happen to us, but that's not going to make us feel that much better. What is going to make us feeling better is understanding that he's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to hold your hand the whole time. It's going to be okay when it's over because I'm going to be with you. I'm not ever going to leave you during this thing, just like we would say to our kids. God could have drawn a flowchart in the sand. I'm assuming there's sand. He could have explained it all out just like that. But I wonder sometimes if this was true for Abraham and true for us, that we, what we don't need is all of the details. What we need is an encounter with God. Has this been true of your life? You didn't need to know exactly how God was going to fulfill that thing in your life. You just needed to spend time in his presence, to know that he was with you, to know that he was for you, to know that he wasn't going to leave you. We don't always need the details. What we need is an encounter with God. We need to spend time in his presence. We need to be in the, his word. We need to be reading scripture. We need to be praying to him. We need to be sitting quietly asking for him to surround us. If you're old school Pentecostal like I am, you need to spend some time on your face at the altar with God. That's not for everyone, but that is something that has been for me many times in my life. <laughs> we don't always need to know all the details, and Abram didn't need to know all the details. He needed an encounter with God that would bolster his faith, that would remind him that he was moving towards something because because God had called him to it, and God was with him. So instead of all the details, what we see instead is Abram and God uh, take part in a ritual. Now, this ritual would have been something that Abram was very familiar with. It was something that happened when people, two people made a covenant. They performed this ritual, and we see it laid out in Scripture. Abram took um, a sacrifice. He halved them. He laid them out. And then what you would have done if it was two people, they would walk a figure eight somehow, between all of the pieces, and they would chant or they would repeat the conditions of the covenant, and that would seal and bind the covenant. So what God does with Abraham in this scripture is something that Abraham would have been very, very familiar with. God takes part in this ritual because what he understands Abram needs isn't all the details, but to be reminded that God has promised, that God is with him, that God is committed to this. And did you notice that while this ritual took place, Abram was actually sound asleep. <laughs> I don't think I ever noticed this before until I did the Bible study, a seamless 
by Angie Smith, and she pointed this out. And she pointed it out, and she says it's important because what it means is that God is obligated to uphold his end of this promise exclusively. That because Abraham isn't actually physically participating, this is God saying, I will do this. This is not a mutual agreement. God has taken all the responsibility to keep this promise. In this moment, God is saying that no matter what, no matter what you face, no matter what it looks like, I will keep this promise. So Abraham leaves this powerful moment This is a powerful moment that he encounters God. He experiences God. I'm sure that when he woke up, he felt rejuvenated. He felt alive. He was like, yes, God is going to do this. I have trust. I have faith. God is going to do this. We've all had those moments where we prayed or we've read scripture and it came alive to us. And we felt that we knew exactly what we needed to know for that moment. And then time passed. And I think the shininess of that moment dulled a bit. And I know I'm... I'm certain that's happened to most of us here. We had that big moment with God, and then we go on with our regular lives, and it dulls a bit. So for Abram, as time passed, it dulled a bit. And he decided, well, I don't know if it was mostly him. It might have been mostly his wife, Sarah. I'm willing to give her a good chunk of the blame. They decide to speed things up a little bit. They decide to take things into their own hand. I don't think they forgot what God had promised, but I think the certainty of that moment had faded for them a little bit. And so we're not going to get into the whole story, but essentially Sarai offers her servant Haggai as um, to stay in her place, and Abram and Hagar have a child, and his name is Ishmael. And we're not going to go into it today. If you want to, Genesis 16 has that entire story. Um, which has impact on our world even today. But suffice it to say, this does not end well. Taking God's plans into your own hands to move it along never ends well, and it doesn't end well for Abram, Sarai, Hagar, and Ishmael. So after all of that debacle, after all of that trauma, we find, we pick up the story again in Genesis 17, where Abram and Sarah get their new names Abram is now Abraham, which means father of many, father of nations, sorry. And Sarai is Sarah, means princess of many. And in Genesis 17, we see God reminding Abraham once again about his covenant, about his promise. And that's so true of us today. We need to be continually spending time in God's presence to be reminded that he is with us. That scripture that you read that was so alive... It can't be a one-time thing. You have to come back the next day and read something new and the next day and read something new. The more time you spend in God's word, the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend in his presence, it is always fresh, it is always current, it is always relevant, and it is the thing that you will lean on first and foremost. So Abram, Abraham, I can now say his name right, switch brain. Abraham has another encounter with God in Genesis 17. We're going to read from uh, verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your... uh, Sorry. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, are bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. 
Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that's super fun for them. That's uh, going to be a fun time for every male in that household. Uh, you might be wondering why circumcision needed to be the sign of this covenant. Um, again, it goes back to partially it's something that Abraham, Abraham would have been familiar with. Circumcision was already practiced by other cultures and religions of the time. So it was a practice that they would have um, been familiar with. But it comes from this. In scripture, the flesh is used to describe sinfulness. And this procedure, as we all know, involves cutting away of the flesh. It is therefore a symbol of their need for God and a commitment to them. They are all circumcised as a symbol of their commitment, the cutting away of the flesh, the cutting away of sin, their commitment to follow through on this covenant. And so because Abraham is obedient, as we've already learned, he does exactly this. In the words of the Bible study I read, uh, Abraham holds the worst party known to man and invites everyone into the house for that. <laughs> I wish I could say I thought about it myself, but I didn't. But it was funny, so I thought I'd share it. So enter Genesis 21. Isaac, the promised son, is born. After all of this, after coming out of um, coming to Canaan, going to Egypt, back to Canaan, um, encounters with God, circumcision, trying to figure it out all on their own. Through all of that, their promised son is born. His name is Isaac. And I wonder if Abraham and Sarah breathed a sigh of relief. Do you think they did? I mean, I'm sure there was celebration upon celebration. This was the promised child. This is one they've been waiting for. They hadn't been able to have children. They were so old at this point. But yet God did this thing. There was probably celebrations upon celebrations. But also, I feel like they just breathed a sigh of relief. Like, okay, God, you did it. You fulfilled the covenant. It's going to be smooth sailing from here. Thank goodness the hard part is over. And if you know this story, you know that the hard part is not over. We go over to Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. I'm sorry, what? I'm, I feel like that wasn't Abraham's response. Abraham's response is, here I am, Lord. I'll do whatever you're asking me to do. I'm pretty sure mine would have been, I'm sorry, what's that now? One more time? Uh, okay. I would not have had this delightful response that Abraham has. Now, if you're reading this, uh, the, t the title, ugh, I'm going to speak words now, at the top of your Bible says, Abraham tested. And you might be thinking, wait, I thought God didn't test us. That's not entirely accurate. What you probably are thinking is that God doesn't tempt us. The Bible says in James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt us. Temptation is setting us up for failure. Temptation is when you're on a diet, putting you in a room full of your favorite chocolate and telling you not to eat it. God doesn't do that to us. That is setting you up to fail. God tests us, which is actually setting us up to succeed. He's putting you in a situation or a circumstance where he knows if you choose to follow him, you will honor him. You will succeed. Your faith will be bolstered. You will give uh, glory to him by your faithfulness. God tests us to set us up to succeed, never to fail. 
Testing isn't easy, as we can see uh, from the story of Abraham. Abraham is being asked to sacrifice his only son, the son that is the fulfillment of the covenant that Abraham has been faithfully following for all of these years. Not only that, he is the son that they love. Did you know that this is the first time that love is used in the Bible? This is the first time that God, that we see the word love, and it is in relationship to how much Abraham and Sarah love Isaac. They love him. And God says, that's great. You can take him up that mountain and sacrifice him. So maybe you're thinking, that's a pretty cruel way for God to get Abraham to prove his loyalty. Is that what God's trying to do here? Get Abraham to prove his loyalty? That seems a bit extreme. And in our eyes, it is a bit extreme. But Abraham knows something that we all need to understand today. And that is the character of God. Abraham is obedient to a situation that doesn't make sense to him because he understands more than anything that God is trustworthy, that he can be trusted. What doesn't make sense with our own eyes, God can be trusted. God is trustworthy. According to Hebrews, if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, we can see that Abraham knew he was going to have to kill his son. I've heard uh, messages before that, well, maybe, you know, Abraham understood there was going to be a sacrifice, all these things. If you read in Hebrews 11 with me, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and in so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham knew what he was being asked of him, and he went up that mountain prepared to do what was being asked of him. I love what this reveals to us about the heart of Abraham. His faith in God was so strong that he thought, even if I do have to sacrifice him, God can raise him back from the dead. There is nothing God can't do. I will be obedient to whatever you ask me to do because there is nothing that God can't do. You promised me this. You did the ritual. You sealed the covenant. I believe you. I trust you. I will do whatever you ask. Oh, to have that faith of Abraham to say, I trust you. Whatever comes my way, I trust you. Abraham knew that he knew that he knew into the depths of his being that God was trustworthy. I don't know that I know that that much today. I want to know that like that today. This wasn't God's attempt to get Abraham's attention or to remind him in some sadistic way that he was in control. God isn't some uncaring puppet master up in the sky who was bored and was like, let's see what happens. This will be fun. That wasn't what God was doing. God was setting Abraham up to succeed, to be reminded of his faith, to provide another way. Abraham didn't have to go up that mountain. He could have chosen no. He could have gone a different way. We all have choices in our life. We don't have to choose to follow God. But when we do, the blessing and the reward and the promise is worth it every single time. He didn't have to go up that mountain, but he did because he knew that God was trustworthy. He knew what God had promised. He knew that this son was going to be the fulfillment of that covenant, that the, his uh, descendants would be more numerous than the sky. He trusted God more than he trusted what he could see with his own eyes. Not only do we need to have regular encounters with God, but we need to trust God more than what we see in our circumstances and situations. Situations often look like God has abandoned us, 
Have you ever found yourself in a time in your life when it felt like God couldn't possibly be here? There is no way that God would let this happen. There is no way that God could be in this. And yet if you look back, wasn't he there? Wasn't he there the whole time? He's never left you. His promises, if you are in relationship with him, if you have surrendered your life to him, if you are living for him, he will never leave you. He will never leave you. That is the promise that we can cling to. Just like Abraham clung to this covenant promise that his descendants would be more numerous than the sky, we can cling to this promise that if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, ask for forgiveness of our sins, invite him into our lives, live a life surrendered to him, he will never leave us. So on that mountain, Isaac and Abraham prepared for the sacrifice. Isaac carried the wood on his back up to the top of that mountain. And at the last minute, God stops Abraham and provides another sacrifice. Father and son walk down the mountain together as a testimony of God's trustworthy character. Now, I'd be remiss today if I didn't point out some of the foreshadowing that exists in the story of Abraham and Isaac. You see, Isaac carried his wood on his back up a hill to the place of sacrifice. And about 2,000 years later, Jesus would do the same thing, actually on that same mountain range. Through the line of Abraham, God sent his only son to the world to carry his cross up a mountain to die for us. That is our covenant promise. That is our fulfillment of the covenant. See, this is the Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant. Jesus comes in the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. Abraham's obedience here brings us to the point that we can have this new covenant with Jesus, that Jesus could come and die for our sins. See, when Jesus got to that place of sacrifice, there was no substitute for him. He was the substitute. He is our substitute. He died on our behalf in our place. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can be made right with God. The covenant that God made with Abraham, it was never only about Abraham and his family. It was never only about them. It was for all of us. It was the start of the redemption story charting towards Jesus. You see, the entire world, every single person that has drawn breath on this earth is the ultimate beneficiary of the covenant between Adam and God. It's an everlasting covenant, and the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment that was made so long ago. The story of Abraham can be broken down a bit like this. God called Abraham to create Israel, which is God's chosen people than to give birth to Jesus to save us. The plan for Jesus to come as a savior for all of us started the moment that sin entered the world. And each part of this New Testament story that we're exploring and that we'll continue to explore, <clears throat> excuse me, shows us how we are charting towards redemption. We are charting towards Jesus. We benefit from the covenant that God made with Abraham because of the relationship we can have with Jesus. See, it goes a little bit like this. Through the line of Abraham, Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to a son who is named Jacob. Jacob's name will be changed to Israel at some point in this story. Uh, Israel will give, birth, will give birth, well, he won't, but his wives will, give birth to 12 sons. Those 12 sons will become the 12 tribes of Israel. From the 12 tribes of Israel, we have King David, and through the line of King David, we find Jesus. All of these stories of the Bible chart together in one glorious, seamless story that bring us to Jesus. I'm excited next week as Pastor Ethan brings a word to continue us in this journey. We are called into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and our job is to recognize our need for him, to recognize our need for forgiveness of sin, 
and our need to surrender our lives to him. Do you know what Abraham knew? Do you know that God is trustworthy? I look back on the stories of all the difficult times in my life, and there's been one or two. Not super dramatic, but there's been enough. And there's been moments when I thought, God couldn't possibly be in this. I've shared this story before, but there was a, a point in my marriage with my husband, my wonderful husband, Matt, where I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> I thought maybe we had reached the natural ending point. And as both followers of Jesus, that didn't sit right with me. <laughs> and in that moment, I just felt like God couldn't have possibly been there. We had gotten ourselves into such a mess and into such a state that God couldn't possibly have been there. And I remember, again, I apologize if you've heard this story before, I remember sitting in a car. We had just moved to Kitchener. We had a brand new newborn and two, we had three kids and it was really hard. And I was sitting in a car with Pastor Tracy and I just said, I, who's been my best friend since I was five. And I just said, I don't, I don't see God in this. I don't see him, I don't feel him, I don't know if he's there. I'm just gonna keep doing what I, what I know to do. I'm gonna try to read my Bible, I'm gonna try to spend time in prayer, I'm just gonna keep doing what I know to do because I don't feel him. And she said, Aaron, he's not gonna abandon you. He will never abandon you. And in that moment, it didn't feel true. It didn't feel true. It felt awful and horrible and lonely. That was about 10 years ago, and it was true. He was with me. I was not alone, Matt was not alone, and he was working behind the scenes. He was working in our hearts, he was working in our lives, he was working in situations in ways that I didn't understand, that I didn't see, and if I had only trusted what I had seen with my eyes, I wouldn't be standing here today. Matt wouldn't have been leading worship here with you this morning. If I had trusted what the situation told me to be true, what the world told me was true, was that it was time for us to go our separate ways. If I had trusted that, I wouldn't have got to see the chart of redemption for our marriage, for our life, for that whole story. It's not easy when you're in the darkest place to say, I don't understand how you're working, God, but I'm going to trust you. It wasn't easy for Abraham to walk up that mountain. Just because he trusted God didn't mean it was easy for him to do the thing that God was asking him to do. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's worth it. It means it's worth it. It means that God is for you. He is not against you. He loves you. And at the end of the day, if at the end of the day, nothing works out in your favor, do you know what you do have a promise of? You will stand before him someday. You will walk into his presence and you will be healed. You will be whole. You will be forgiven. When you have relationship with Jesus, even if nothing on this earth ever goes the way you want it to, when you cling to that faith you have in him, you are promised eternity with him. That is our promise. Because of the death of Jesus, because Abraham was obedient, we get all the way to Jesus and we have that promise to cling to. You can't trust what your eyes see. You have to trust what you know to be true, because God is trustworthy. I'm going to ask uh, my lovely husband, Matt, who I did not ask permission to tell that story, and I probably should have, but I love you so much, and I know your heart is all about ministry, so you're totally fine with it. He's giving me a look. Anyways, I'm going to ask Matt to come back and just lead a song. I just would like to end today 
Um, I know that there are times in your life when it feels dark and it feels heavy. But he is with you. Keep the course. Walk the path. Do the thing you know to do. For me and for all of us, the thing that I know to do, read your Bible. Pick it up, even if it's one verse. Talk to God. Tell him it feels hard, it feels awful, it feels impossible. And then say these words, even if they don't necessarily ring true. Say them. I trust you. Say them out loud until they become true in your heart. I trust you. We need regular, ongoing encounters with God. When was your last encounter with God? By encounter with God, I mean when was the last time you spent time in his word? When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you just turned on some worship music and just sat quietly in his presence? All of those things are time spent with God encountering him. Maybe there are some of you in this room or watching online that have never had an encounter with Jesus. You don't know what that is. You don't really know what I'm talking about. Let me say that today very clearly. You can encounter Jesus today for the first time. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. And that is available to you by praying a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my life, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. You can pray that wherever you are, whenever. He is there for you. If you've never done that, I encourage you today to encounter him in that way. You won't regret it. Because once you encounter him in that way, all of your tomorrows start charting towards him. And that promise of eternity becomes reality for you. Lord, you are good. You are indescribably good when the world around us is not. We live in such a dark, heavy place and we face such dark, heavy things. But God, what we know to be true is that you are trustworthy that you will not abandon us, you will not forsake us, you will not leave us. So God, I pray today that you would help us to remember that in the dark times, you are trustworthy. You are with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, today that you would meet us where we're at. God, speak to us in meaningful ways, God. Make your presence known to us today, Father. Lord, as we spend just a few minutes worshiping in your presence, I pray you would Speak to hearts. Stir hearts towards you, God. For those that have never uh, made a decision to follow you, I pray, God, that you would chart them closer to that step, that today would be the day, God, that they would make that decision to follow you and that your angels will rejoice in heaven because a new, a new family member has come home, God. We just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We trust you in all things.